0: Hi there. You're listening to F&B Soundbites, a podcast on hot topics, trends, and challenges for professionals in the food and beverage industry. I'm your host, Hamish McCook. Joining me today is Kate Meyer, business director of sustainability at Becca. Um, Kate is also uh, an author of a book on sustainability called Planetary Accounting: A Framework for Quantifying How to Live Within Planetary Limits. Uh, Kate leads our efforts at Becca to grow our positive environmental and social impact through the work we do, which is called our handprint. Um, Kate is also the host of another Becca podcast series called Getting to Carbon Zero, where our leaders um, converge to discuss how our post-COVID-19 recovery and rebuild opportunities in the New Zealand economy and others as well, and contribute to a future of sustainable prosperity. Welcome, Kate. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So okay, so Kate, I suppose I'm I'm interested in the conversation today uh, because I'm a huge proponent of the food and beverage industry. Um, it's my gig. It's what I do. Uh, I, I've got a little bit of anxiety because food and beverage and industry, particularly some aspects of it, uh, have have a pretty significant role to play in the sustainability story and the the global warming story as well. So. I think you know, in, in, in social media and various trends, certain parts of my client sectors have been portrayed negatively. So I guess I'm, I'm a little bit anxious about today's talk, mm-hmm. uh, but equally, you know, I live on planet earth along with you and, and many others, um, well, all the others actually, and, <laughs> and this is a pretty important topic. So I think it's, really, it's a worthy topic to talk about, and so I'm looking forward to this discussion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think I think you're right. There's so much controversy at the moment about the, the impacts of food and it feels like there's a lot of lobbying from different stakeholders, um, a lot of pointing the finger from, from one group to another. And although there's quite a lot of quite good information out there talking about the, the hidden impacts of food, there's also a lot of misinformation. And so it's really hard, I think, to, to navigate through all of that information. One of my pet peeves is that there are so many studies out there that compare the impacts of different foods by serving size. And actually, serving size is, is totally irrelevant when you're talking about food. You need to be thinking about the nutrition that different food products deliver. And, you know, it's, it's probably reasonable for food with higher nutrition to have slightly higher impact than, you know, empty calories maybe. Uh so it, so it is a really big challenge. But of course, we, we have to have food. It's not a nice to have luxury item. You know, it's it's fundamental. And as the population is growing, um, how we sustainably feed that growing population is going to become more and more challenging. Uh, so although it's a big, overwhelming problem, it's quite an exciting space to be in trying to resolve that.
0: Yes, yeah, it, it is. And it is a it is a complex beast, is not it? So there there have been reports, and I'm, I'm I guess I'm interested in, in going going there. I want to go there um, actually, Kate. So there was the Lancet report, which called out you know some some food types as being problematic, and 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 my problem with with. With something like that, is that um, we know that different food types can be produced in quite different ways to, to achieve the same sort of final food on a plate. And I, I think that the challenge that I have is that, um, yes, in social media, a particular food group can be portrayed as bad, um, whereas it's actually um, you know, the, the means of production and the way that it's produced, and maybe the technology that's employed, the scale that's important,
1: yeah absolutely. I mean the Eat Lancet report is is a really interesting example um so it does exactly what i what I said you know it compares the impacts of food by serving, so I think it has compares a cup of milk with a, a cup of vegetables and, and twenty eight grams of nuts and and I don't feel that I would feel as full from from one thing or another, or as, as nutrition, you know, my nutritional needs would be met quite differently from these different servings. So I think that's quite a problem. But but exactly, I think you have hit the nail on the head when you say there's such a huge range of impact. The producing food, and if you look at one carrot and another carrot, the amount of water, the you know, embodied carbon from um, transporting it around. The impacts are, are very very different from one to another, orders of magnitude different in many food products. And so studies like Eat Lancet, I think, you know, it is important to have a a view on global food, but you need to take those things into account. And I think when they've suggested the suggestions that they've made for the average global diet, and they do acknowledge that that will vary and that they're just talking in averages, but those suggestions are based on the average impacts of food production. Actually, what we need to be looking at is, you know, what are the what are the best producers doing? You know, what is the most sustainable dairy, for example, in the world? And if we were producing food with those lower impacts, how much would that change the picture? And I don't think anyone's done mm. done a study that, that answers that question. So we don't really have um, a, a very good picture of future global diets within the planet's limits, in my opinion.
0: So yes, I, I think you're right. And one of the the, the challenges I have is um, how how do how do food producers become incentivized to aspire to the higher levels of sustainability for the products that they produce and market around the world. I, I we have got organic labeling, we've got some other sort of things that signify positive attributes to consumers, but as a consumer it is really tough to know exactly how um, much beneficial impact you're having through the choices that you're making in the supermarket um, yeah, food aisles?
1: Hundred percent. You know, I, my my specialty is in quantifying environmental impacts of of things, and I go to the supermarket and I can't I can't make decisions. I you know I used to live in Australia and I'd get to the Tin tomato aisle, and I'd always just get caught up, you know, and spend ages looking at the tin tomatoes because my choices were I could get organic tomatoes from Italy or I could get not organic tomatoes from Australia and uh, you know I I still to this day couldn't tell you which one was better overall you know different aisles have different ratings on the one product you might have that it's you know fishery certified Um, another Mm. product might say organic and the you know Mm. I, I feel like it would take a PhD just to be able to understand what you're looking at in terms of all those different rating systems in the supermarket I think consumers want to make the right decisions when they're making purchases and so there is a, a very big demand for sustainably produced food. But, you know, I think it's actually come, uh, overcoming that challenge of the complexity of communicating that system. I'm actually working on a, a project that I'm really excited about, um, which is called planetary facts labelling. And it's, it's not specific to the food sector, but we're starting in the food sector because it's really look, basically labels that look just like nutritional fats but instead of disclosing information about the impacts of the food or the product on human health, it's talking about the impacts on the planet's health. And so it would have information like, you know, how many grams of carbon or water and um, nitrogen and land use indicators, but it would also put that into context. And I think it's that context mm. that's missing from so many of these labels. So it would say this is you know X percent of, uh, you know, an average um, daily budget for carbon. X percent of an average daily budget for land use. And so you could start to understand how these products go into a, a sustainable diet. But also in future, when we have these labeling systems on other products and services, you'd be able to compare the groceries in your trolley to the impacts of your car or a holiday or the sports activities that you do. Um, and so you'd suddenly be able to prioritise, you know, how would I like to spend my impact budget, my budget for land use, Mm. my budget for biodiversity impact. I guess food's always going to come out first (laughs) because we really have to eat.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's fascinating, actually. So uh, looking at the um, uh, the existing example of nutritional facts labelling, I, I guess we have that because the impacts of nutritional decisions are, are in the long term and not necessarily tied to the price of the the goods that we're buying. So at least having the nutritional facts label that's been mandated you know, globally you know, helps consumers make the right choice from a nutrition perspective. And you're saying you know, potentially something similar from a planetary facts and planetary boundaries um, aspect helps people understand the what they're doing, what their choices are doing in the long term. A little bit better than they currently do, which is currently they have got no idea. Um, I would say. Yeah. absolutely. Consumers. Okay. okay. Oh, well, that's uh, that is um, really good, and it sounds very positive. So I, I certainly wish you best of luck, and you know would would like to help in your planetary facts labelling journey as well. So um, good luck with that. So I, I guess I'm thinking of our um, ever listeners and what what they're going to take from this so uh, do you have any sort of key points of advice for our listeners who are primarily these people uh in or around food production food supply chain organizations um what what should what should they be doing right now well, I
1: guess one of the big things is really understanding the impact. Um, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm a big proponent of, of action over sort of measurement for reporting sake. But without understanding the broad picture of your impacts, it's really hard to prioritize your actions. And it would be really easy to spend a lot of effort to reduce impacts in a part of your business that, that maybe isn't the most important. So, you know, I think historically people have really looked at scope one and two impacts so, what are you know? What is the electricity consumption for the production processes, and what is the wastewater coming from that? It's really important to understand those upstream and downstream impacts as well. You know, what's happening at the end of life to the packaging that is going out with my mm-hmm. food? What um, what are the People who are producing the products that I'm putting into my food product doing on their their farm or through their processes, you know, you, you really need to understand that big picture. And I think even asking the question starts to shift behaviour. So you know, if you're going to your suppliers and saying, you know, what is the the carbon and the water and the land use and and, and all these other impacts um, associated with your product, they will start to really look at their own practices. You know, they don't want to tell you unless mm. <laughs> they're on a on a good journey as well. And so that mm-hmm. will send the right signals as well as start to understand uh, help companies to understand where they can make the, the biggest impact. And I think that whole picture also helps. There's a really interesting study that I read about tomatoes where the the carbon impact of tomatoes that were shipped uh, without packaging was actually higher than the carbon impact of tomatoes that were wrapped in plastic with those little packages that keep the moisture content low um, yeah. because of the amount of food waste. And so you, if you didn't put that right. packaging on it, you would have so much more food waste. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we should, have, we should package up everything because that, the study that I read only looked at carbon. It didn't look at waste or, or any of those other impacts and and I'm not sure what the outcome would have been from that but I think it's a really good example that it to, to demonstrate that it's not always obvious the solution you know sometimes it's the solution that you don't expect so having that that broad understanding is is really critical
0: yeah great so to understand the their own products full value chain impacts across all of the key dimensions that are important for ongoing sustainability. Well, that's great, Kate. So uh, any final thoughts uh, from you?
1: Yeah, well, I guess the other thing is the the way that we've been in, in managing environmental impacts historically has been to set a benchmark and then look at how we can improve from that benchmark. And it's very backwards looking, you know, saying, okay, well, can we make a 5% improvement on what we've been doing? And that approach really encourages incremental change and and often misses the big picture of the opportunities for really transformational or systemic change. And so we're really now encouraging people to set absolute targets. So the idea of setting science-based carbon targets has become really popular over the last few years and a lot of companies in New Zealand um, have jumped onto the Climate Leaders Coalition and are setting science-based targets aligned with 1.5 degrees. You can actually do that across other impacts as well and set science-based targets for water consumption, for nitrogen and phosphorus use and and runoff for land use change. Mm. And so I think having that holistic picture not just focused on carbon but you know on on a broad spectrum of environmental limits but in that long view you know how how good is good enough Uh, having that understanding means you can really test your own business plans and strategies against that to see if you're going in the right direction or actually whether you need to sort of redesign the system and look into the future and say what is my business going to look like within those limits and what do i need to do now to start that transition in in that direction Uh, So, you know, I think everybody really needs to move out of that incremental change model because the order of magnitude of change needed is is really big and I guess the, the final point is that we, we probably need to work together more so it's it's very unlikely that we'll be able to resolve all these global problems and the silos that we typically mm. operate you know it's unlikely that every business will be able to uh, reduce every impact to a certain point but working together in collaboration um, you find all these synergies so we're, we're doing really exciting work looking at things like industrial ecosystems where one person's waste becomes another person's input and those opportunities are really going to be fundamental to resolving these challenges.
0: Hmm, that's fascinating. Uh, thank you for that, Kate. You know, we started out today and I, I did have a sense of trepidation uh, about where we're going to land in our discussion, just because my, uh, my, my sector has a big role to play in the improvement But um, you've highlighted. Uh, particularly, you know, a pathway forward around the, the planetary facts labelling um, as, as um, a mechanism for providing in con- consumers with much more visibility of the, the total impacts that they are having with the consumer decisions that they're making, um, and that you know ultimately, if that were to apply to all products, um, it would allow people to exercise choice in the right way. And then for our for our uh, manufacturing and supply chain uh, listeners. Um, that uh, actually you know measuring and understanding the, the the impacts upstream and downstream is critical you are in that supply chain so you have to take accountability for it and and thinking big about the targets too so to make sure that it's not just incremental change we really need to actually completely cr- bring about a revolution in the way that we treat our planet and survive in it and um, and, and that that you know, will require a lot of cooperation and determination and leadership as well. And I think that's a, it's a really big challenge and it can seem daunting, uh, but, but I, I understand that the alternative is not really an option in, in this case. So, um, so, Kate, I really want to thank you for coming along today and um, talking about such an important topic.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Hamish. It's um, It's been a really good discussion and I uh, I agree with you. It's a, a very daunting challenge, um, but the alternative is far <laughs> more daunting. Um, so it's a challenge we need to take on um, full steam ahead.
0: Well, thanks very much. And um, and thank you to our listeners for joining us today. I look forward to bringing you another episode of F&B Soundbites. Until then, as we say in New Zealand, haere rā and farewell.